You know what that sound means? It's a brand new year, and it's a new episode of Game for a Movie, episode 27. Happy New Year, guys. Yeah, happy 2021. <laughs> Off to a great start. Off to a great start. We're good, baby. One week down. Uh, I've been trying to, like, temper my expectations going into this. I posted a bunch of memes on our Twitter and stuff to try to, like, hey, just a reminder, 2021 is the year of Mad Max. Like, don't... <laughs> Don't get too ahead of yourselves. God. And then things happened. But we won't talk all about my, that. <laughs> all of my YouTubers who are, like, inspirational are, like, 2021 is going to be a fresh start. Clean slate. Great Ugh. things lie ahead. I, I lies. Try to temper my expectations. <laughs> it's not lies. It's just too high of optimism for, yeah. you know. It's a shrug. It's a shrug. I just don't... Oh, well. I don't get people that think that 2021 was going to be so much better when we're still in a pandemic. Like... We we know this year started and we knew it was not going well, to be. Their jobs are meant are inspirational YouTubers, so they can't just break out the doom and gloom umbrella and be like, "Yep, it's a reign of sorrow." Nope, that's our job. You, you got to keep your brand. <laughs> that's our job. Apparently, we we can't be inspirational. We got to be doom and gloom. <laughs> uh, I am your host, Mike Butank. I am joined by. It's Jill. Andre. And Mitchell. Ah, yes. Uh, you guys are virtual. I'm all alone here. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss you guys. I miss you too. I miss you too. Hey, congrats like- on the half marathon, by the way. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you. I'm, I'm literally uh, trying to get downstairs. Took all of my energy that I had left, which was so, zero. Like, I could breathe on you and you'd fall over. Uh, the dog jumped on me and I almost fell. So... Aww. You know, it's uh, it, I'm I'm extremely proud of it. Um, but I'm also very glad it's done. Um, shout out to Nick DePace who already invited me to the Hartford Marathon. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. When is that scheduled? October. Okay. Oh, you got time. Let's do it. I. Uh, <laughs> this is not the right day to ask me. <laughs> I'll help train you with you for that one if somehow. Because I really want to get back into running once the weather is consistently above 45 degrees. I'm happy to train with you, but once I realize that today's run would be like a practice for that, <laughs> yeah, I'm probably not going to jump on that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I've earned this beer. I'm sure you guys have earned your drinks as well. Uh, we'll start with Jill again. Jill, what are you drinking? So I'm going to be switching off, but currently I am drinking a Dogfish Head Campfire Amplifier. It, it is a stout with a probably a shot and a half of Screwball Peanut Butter Whiskey. Oh. I have been working on this since 2 o'clock. <laughs> um, and then my follow-up is a classic Down East Double Blend. Shout out to Down East. I there love you go. You. Nice. Andre, what are you drinking over there? Uh, I made myself a uh, Moscow Yeah, you know, uh, worth a shot of Espelon tequila and some ginger beer. Nice. I guess what it's, Mexico meal, whatever they call it, whatever. A riff on a Moscow meal. That's yeah. what I got. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Um, I got to say, you were gone for a while when we first started talking before we started recording. We were all wondering where you were. We were going to play Where's <laughs> T-Dog with Where's Andre. Uh, Mitchell, what do you got over there? Yeah, so I didn't quite earn the beer that you got, Mike, with 13.1 miles. I only did 4.1 today. Hey, but, you still earned I'm it, buddy. Right now, 
Yeah, what I'm enjoying right now is a nice old fashioned nice. uh, with George Dickel Tennessee whiskey in the mix. There you go. Got some bitters in there. Kelly's parents got me a nice little cocktail set up so I can make my own cocktails with all the properties. Oh. Yeah, so it's been good. Uh, so I'm going to start with this, and then I'm going to finish things off with the blue moon, knowing how long these record recordings tend to be. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for it. Nice. Steven Orange Slice for that blue moon. Um, yeah, because I use some orange slice here as well. Yeah, there you go. Peel and the, the the garnish and the drink. So that's what you need. Andre, yeah. we've we've added another to the cocktail off whenever we do another cocktail. Yes, I have plans for this cocktail off. Oh. Also, secret, not secret. I have an idea for a game for a movie thing that involves a murder mystery party set in 1920 Chicago. It's got Italian food and outfits, and I want this to happen so badly. Yes, it will happen. <laughs> Uh, that sounds amazing. My beer is Pug. It's a New England IPA from Reverie Brewing. It's where I host trivia on Wednesday nights. Um, highly suggest it if you're anywhere in the area. Please come on out. Uh, I host outside, so at the very least you can watch me freeze to death. Um, but yeah, it's a good time. Uh, all involved. Um, so that will bring us to our movies. But actually... I wanted to introduce the new segment before we get started. Uh, Jill and Andre already know about it. I'm going to throw Mitchell under the bus here because we didn't bring it up. Um, so I am doing something with my hair that's different. Uh, Claire and I have been, we watched a movie like two months ago. Uh, I'll give you guys the full look. You guys can see everything. We're playing Mike's Main. You have to guess the movie. You have to guess the movie I am trying to model my hair after one of the characters in it. Um, but I, I can tell you that Claire and I watched this a couple months ago. So I will lift off my headphones. I will show you. Uh, it's still early, but here is my hair. So, uh -huh. so you can kind of guess. When Look, I'm, I'm going to sound like an asshole, but I'm going to say Chris Kringle from the, you know, that animated... The stop motion one? Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. That's Mickey Rooney, who is Santa Claus, and you do look like that stop motion animation puppet. You definitely do. I, I, I I'm going to I'm going to say that is not the winner. Oh. It Apparently, be. it's a movie we have all seen or collectively pop cultural. I know pop at least osmosis. I know at least one person has seen this. I'm pretty confident all three of you have, but I don't want to ask you because I don't want to like give it away. Yeah, obviously. Is it like a punchable character? Like, <laughs> wow! Is it a punchable face, Mike? <laughs> like, what? What did? What did I do to you? <laughs> Nothing. But I'm trying to like suss out some, some clues. Like, I, I can see that. Am I rooting for them, like Rudy from the movie Rudy, or I would say, punch him, like Rudy Giuliani? I would say you're rooting for them. I'm not gonna give you many hints. But I would say you're rooting for them. Um, like Rudy from Rudy. <laughs> and we're going to play this game until either I get bored or somebody guesses it. You get one guess a week. One guess a week? Yep. So we're going to continue this particular each look? Each, each, each of, of you get one, yeah. Okay. Okay. And I can tell you it's still early. Like I said, it's still early. I haven't done a whole lot. Um, so it's still early in the process. And it came out in 2020? This movie? I did not say that ever. Oh, great. There's so <laughs> many movies that you could be there's a, there's a lot. lampooning. Yeah. What, 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 so it's just a character from a movie, and that's it? You just got to name the movie. That's okay, it. Movie. You, don't even, you don't even need to name the character. If you can guess the character, I'll give you a bonus point, but 
honestly, if you get the movie, that's the winner. And what does the points go towards? Uh, the points don't matter. Okay. No, Price is right. <laughs> Whose line is that anyway? Price is right. Who knows? Maybe it, maybe it makes the other two see a bad movie. Are you trying to be like a Domhnall Gleeson character because of the hair color? I don't know. I got nothing. You got nothing? No movies? No guesses? Is your hair color accurate to the actor that you're trying to portray? Not terribly. Okay. Got it. Yeah. That's good to know. So I'll just play with different hues of color. Yes. I don't know if that's really going to help you much because most (laughs) of the people in movies have uh, different color hair than me. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. It would have almost helped you the other way. I'm going to say Batflick. Really? It is not Batflick. Doesn't Batman have a beard in Justice League? Not like this, though. Like, this is the facial hair is part of it. The facial hair is a part of it. I have been trying to keep that. uh, The facial hair is close. Um, The rest of it is not, so. Well, I'm disappointed we're not going mud and chops, but. Uh, Yeah, yeah, mud and chops would have been fun. Uh, I gave my guess Batflick. Batflick doesn't have that beard. No, he does not have a beard. I've only seen him in Justice League. I have not I have not had the pleasure or interest to watch <laughs> Batman v Superman. Yeah. Probably stick it that one, yeah. Yeah, you can spare yourself some time. Andre, do you have a guess? Two hours, pretty bad. I am trying to come up with a, a guess that's at all productive, but I cannot for the life of me because I have basically nothing to go off of. It's basically <laughs> with your hair slightly grown out. So Yeah, it's a weird game. Uh, I just, I, this is why I wanted to do it because I like it. It is. You're not. You're. I'm just gonna throw it out there, just to, just to eliminate it. You're not trying to go for Thor uh, from Dark World specifically. That's my only guess. Nope. Because I think we're all. Just, yeah, Dark it's not World. Thor from Dark World. Faces just look so pain. No, Dark World. Yeah. Thor has long hair. Yeah, right. But he's working well, on that. But like, he you gotta get Mike at least a month. Yeah. yeah right, right. I can right. say that I started this two months ago, and my hair is pretty long for me. Yeah, the reason I said Dark World because I'm pretty sure that's when he has that level of beard in in, Dar- in Thor two, right? Know, or maybe maybe are you trying to do the fish tail? Are you trying to do the end game? Yeah, no, maybe not. Thor has a beard in. You guess Thor Dark World. That is your guess. That's my guess. I shot my shot. You shot your shot. So we'll try again next time. But yeah, so now we'll jump into movies. Jill, you're going to get us started. Alright, well, I can tell you that you're definitely not lampooning or mimicking George Clooney's beard. Um, for our this podcast, I decided to kind of go and lean towards my sci-fi leaning side, um, and I decided to check out George Clooney's newest film, The Midnight Sky. Mm-hmm. Um, he directed this. Um, it came out in 2020. It's a Netflix original. It is based on a novel called Good Morning Midnight by Lily Brooks Dalton. Morning, um, midnight. Okay. Yeah, and it, it has a pretty good cast. It has uh, Felicity Jones, um, who I think is the name that I recognize the most. Um, some other really great actors, probably big in the UK. Um, yeah, British. And you know what? It was a decent middling two-hour ride. <laughs> Under eighteen minutes. Um. I looked up a review after the fact, and uh, it did a pretty good job of essentially saying this film wears its influences on its sleeves. It tries and pulls a lot from films like Interstellar, Gravity, um, The Martian, and a few others. 
And I'll do a quick summary. The world has ended. It's 2049. The world has ended. It's done. People are have left. There is, from what we know, one man left on the in, in the world. Um, George Clooney's character. He's a scientist. Did you say He's 2021? 2049. 2021. Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, he's left on Earth. Um, he's up in the Arctic because the Arctic area is they figured out would be the last areas affected by whatever caused the apocalypse. They never really say, but it's heavily insinuated to probably be um, nuclear because there's radiation levels. Mm. And he realizes that there is a um, a space mission that's still active and it's on its way back to Earth. So the real plot of the movie is him trying to get in contact with the people on the spaceship coming back from, I think it's Jupiter, to tell them, don't come back here. There's nothing here for you. Um, and it's it's two stories, really. It's him on Earth. Mm-hmm. He discovers a little girl, and they decide to go to another uh, base to contact the spaceship, and then the people on the spaceship. Um, and the spaceship side of it is where you really see the gravity and the interstellar. Um, the Martian influences is that it's, like, the last guy out there. Okay. It oddly made me really want to rewatch The Tree of Life, even oh. though the tree of life is infinitely deeper than this movie even tries to be. Interesting, but okay. it made me want to watch it. And, you know, it's it's not his worst film ever, but it's also by far not his best. Mm-hmm. And it just, anyone I think who's going to watch it is going to want to watch the films that inspired it, um, particularly Interstellar and Gravity. And I don't even like Gravity. I've seen it. It didn't <laughs> do anything for me. Um, but... It's well acted. You care about these characters. Um, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it, it it's, it's moving. Okay. My biggest, besides the fact that it's not trying to hide what inspired it, my biggest complaint is that the movie just kind of ends. You kind of get a reveal, but you kind of guessed that's where it was going. And it just kind of stops. And the closing credits are um, characters just doing, doing a thing. I don't want to spoil what it is. But the credits roll silently as these characters are doing some actions. Okay. And that, that's the movie. Hmm. It doesn't go out with a bang, but it doesn't go out with a whimper. It just kind of goes out, and they lived. It's, How long was this movie you said again? 118 minutes. And did you feel those 118 minutes? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> um, so you would yeah. say, like, slow burn, kind of? Yes. But then it's not, because when you're there in space, there has to naturally be some tension. So um, something happens, and they're like, well, we have to go out and fix the ship. So some characters go out, and they do that. There's a very bizarre moment where somebody blasts Sweet Caroline, and they sing Sweet Caroline, and there's a character who's like, I don't know the song. I mean, I don't know the song, and I'm like, are you being sarcastic, or do you genuinely not know this song in 2049? It would be it would be a classic hit at that point. I mean, I, that would be the first song I think I would play out to space to aliens because nobody can resist going ba ba ba. Well, they've determined that there is no alien life yet that humans have found. Okay. That's not really a spoiler. Um, I wish that this movie had leaned more into the science the way that the Martian does Mm -hmm. um which i highly recommend if you haven't seen it and i also highly recommend reading the book um or instead of leaning into the hard sciences and explaining why all these things are happening and how one could survive or not survive i wish they leaned on the other side of the spectrum harder towards the interstellar 
um, give me that grand space okay. opera rather than a not quite deep meditation on existence. And they don't really even do that. So, you know, it, it, it's middling. It's not bad. It's not amazing. But it's by no means a horrible film. I think we're in a weird era for space movies because I'm a huge fan of those as well, Joe. And mm-hmm. the movies that immediately come to mind for me of ones that are middling, and I think for different reasons, but we have um, Ad Astra, which was the Brad Pitt oh. movie that came out two years ago or a year and a half ago. It's been oh, a while. Which I haven't ago. seen. And Roger, the review that I read, which is from Roger Eber, identified Ad Astra as another yeah. influence. I didn't list that one because I have not seen it. I was going to say to your point, Mitchell, because we were talking about this earlier, um, we did see Ad Astra and Midnight Sky really feels a lot like it. Mm. Just And I have not seen it. I'm just based on the little bit I've seen of it, which is like a trailer and a clip of it. It feels very similar. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, like most of these space movies now, and I and I appreciate what the artists are going for. The other one that comes to mind is Robert Pattinson's High Life, which was directed by Claire Denis, very famous French director. Her whole thing was, this isn't a movie so much about space as much as it is about people in prison. And that's ultimately what their spaceship was. It was these criminals who are sent out into space to do tasks because they shouldn't be on Earth, and this is their punishment. This is them serving time. Um, so that was both interesting looks of what space could mean. And then for Ad Astra, it was a father uh, or a son with daddy issues. You know, yeah. with Brad Pitt was, you know, spoiler alert. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's very interesting how high art has been brought into this. And this is a departure from The Martian and Interstellar, it sounds like. Um, so, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I would, I, I, if anything, I wish that this movie had picked picked an area to lean in so either the meditation of the existence of life the uh, deeper introspection on space and what is out there or not out there or just the characters and unfortunately it didn't really pick a direction it decided to just kind of stay in the middle and i love a good highbrow i don't understand exactly what i'm watching but i'm gonna watch it like the fountain is one of my favorite movies of all time i saw that movie with my dad in theaters we still talk about what that what exactly did we see what is that movie trying to say this movie's not really saying anything which is unfortunate it is very pretty Mm-hmm. It shot wonderfully. Um, and, I mean, uh, D- George Clooney is, uh, you know, a, a man of, with many talents, and he directed it, and I think he did a very good job with the direction. Um, but it just wasn't... I wanted more, and it, to the film's credit, it never tried to suggest it was going to give me more than what it was giving. Hmm. So, with that in mind... I'd give it an a, I hate to do this. I'm going to do like the weird, not official, you know, not a full score, but I'll, I'll give it a 2.8. 2.8. Okay. 2.8 out yeah. of what? 2.8. Oh. Yeah, 2.8. Let's see. There's a lot of things with this one. 2.8 Sweet Carolines out of five. Oh, Sweet Carolines. Oh my God. It was, it was a moment where I'm like, this is happening. All right, they're they're doing this. I will say something that very distracted me, and it's not this movie's fault, is that the main male character from Godzilla, King of Monsters, was in it, and I was just like, oh my god, Ghidorah is going to come down in a minute. I'm ready. I'm ready. And then... That would be a more interesting movie, probably. Yeah, if all of a sudden Godzilla's in it. Or Mothra just 
slapped by in space. Make it a kaiju movie in space. I'm down for that. Uh, yeah. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Um... Okay, I guess I go next. Um, I watched a Netflix documentary called The Speed Cubers. Uh, it takes place all at the World National Tournament for Rubik's Cube Solving. Um, and it follows two people, uh, Max and Felix. Um, what, what's cool about this is the premise of it. it. It doesn't go in like making it, hey, you're cheering for one or the other, obviously. Um, but it follows these two. So Felix is from Australia. Max is from USA. Max is autistic. Uh, And it dives into 20 minutes of it probably is all about his autism and like the, how he got to be a Rubik's cube solver. Dude solves a Rubik's cube in six seconds. Like he is insane. Uh, So is Felix. Felix has always been in the light about, uh, Rubik's Cube solving. So when he was like a kid, he came on the equivalent of The Tonight Show and just went, duh, 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 duh. boom, here's the cube. You know, like that kind of stuff. And this is like when he was a kid, so he's been in this life forever. They each constantly break each other's records. Um, they each constantly are like competing against each other at World Nationals. Um, Felix, what I like about his story is he is now 17 or 18. I don't really remember which of them. And he is living on his own. And trying to, like, find life past cubing. Which, like, there's no real money in it. And what what he's dealing with that they go into is usually at this point you become less of a cuber because there's girls, there's jobs, there's schoolwork. All this stuff gets in the way so you're not as practicing as much. And so... Um, but what also is cool is they go into the relationship between Max and Felix. So the tournament is in Australia. Max flies with his family. Um, Felix is like, this might be my last tournament. I really want to give it my all. But at the same time, they go to dinner together. They go to karaoke bars together. Um, Max is obviously infatuated with Felix and like has so much respect for him. So when there was a point where... Um, Felix was about to go on and like Max is just like I, I hope he does well I hope he does well like that kind of stuff and it's really cool because they're competitors but they they have this respect for each other this friendship together um, it's a very cool film um, it's 40 minutes it's quick breezy um, it doesn't overstay its welcome it doesn't understay its welcome I actually really love this film um, it's also very cool to see somebody who is autistic at the top of their field like this. Um, it's a very cool perspective because everybody knows who Max is. Everybody cheers for Max, but at the same time, like wants to compete with him. But Max is just so freaking good at it. Even like when, uh, so they basically like show it to you on like a dinner plate, you know, and they remove the plate and then you get to look at it once, put it down, start the clock, go, 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 clock down that kind of stuff. Um, and like you're trying, you get three times to solve a cube and then they take your average and then that's your final score is your average score. Um, it's just a very cool movie. It, it is so well done because it all takes place at one thing. So it's not like it's, um, they've been waiting for this tournament. They've been 
they knew they were going to this tournament, so the results are what the results are. Uh, but one of the coolest moments, I think, of this movie is Max and Felix are backstage waiting on the results. They know that Max has won something. There's so many events that it's not the... I won't go into details about which one it is. This is one of the events they know he's won. Um, so they call his name and Felix just like grabs him and is like, Max, that's you. Get out of his way. Here he comes. Like he's And he's leading him to the stage and he, that kind of stuff. And it's such a cool moment to see because both of them are so happy for each other. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's a very it cool movie. It sounds like a really sweet movie. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's awesome yeah oh it, it's very cool it, like i said it's 40 minutes it's well worth its time um wow. and especially when i was going to watch a different movie uh and decided to change my mind and that other movie was a 33 percent on rotten tomatoes that i learned later <laughs> oh, you dodged a bullet i dodged a bullet yes and so it made it that much better for me um so i think this is my first time on the show I give it a five seconds out of five for Rubik's Cubes. Wow. So, recommendation. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. The only way that I can add to this conversation is that what the way you discussed it kind of reminds me of a handful of speedrunners that I'm familiar with that have said that they're on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just want to give it a shout out to there's a charity stream going on actually right now for the next couple of days called Awesome Games Done Quick. And it's basically just an event where. All of these well-known speedrunners will uh, just stream them trying to speedrun through a game for charity, uh, and they kind of just go through their process and kind of talk a little bit about their life story, etc. And these these stories you brought up um, about these two kids kind of just reminded me of that, where like I've kind of seen that kind of yeah. uh, you know development coming out of just these kids that are insanely talented trying to hone their craft on one specific very fine task. Right. So, yeah. If, and- I mean. I would say if you enjoyed that film and I want to check it out too, I mm-hmm. would definitely say try checking out a few uh, speedrunning uh, yeah. speedrunners. Uh, for sure, awesome. very cool. For sure, no, that, that that sounds awesome. Really, it's um, it, this is such a cool thing that I I really enjoyed, especially because we don't see a lot of autistic people in movies, TV shows, that kind of thing that get this kind of treatment. Um, you know, so it's something that it's very cool to me that um, discovering how he learned to love his mom, how he learned to love the Rubik's Cube, that kind of stuff, and like his infatuation with Felix. It's really cool to, to experience. So uh, that will bring us to you, Andre. Oh, me? Yeah. yeah. Hey. Um, so uh, the movie I'm going to be talking about is a film called Bad Education. Uh, it is a film starring uh, one Allison Janney and um, Hugh Jackman, and say, it came Hugh out. Jackman, right, technically, came out in uh, 2019, uh, but uh, it was released on streaming on HBO. I think back in April 2020. Um, and so, this is a kind of a dramatization uh, based on a true story of the largest embezzlement scheme of a public school system in American history. Uh, it happened in Roslyn High in Long Island back in 2002. And it's kind of funny because Jill and I watched this together, and Jill grew up in Long Island. She didn't go to Roslyn. You didn't go to uh, Roslyn, obviously, no. but you were very familiar with the story, and I was not going into this. I, I had never heard of it before. It sounded like it made waves in the tri state area, but. Um, I had not. I wasn't super familiar with what happened here in this movie. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, 
It, it, it actually just occurred to you. It happened in um, 2003, 2003. Okay. Like, yeah, it was a year off. But yeah, early 2000s. Um, but basically, like, it sounds like, like upon further research, that this is very much. So this is um, uh, the screenwriter. I believe this came this came about because the the screenwriter for this uh, went to this the Roslyn school system in uh, I think he was in middle school at the time that this happened. So he met the. But, but anyway, so I'll get into it. Um, it's definitely dramatization. It doesn't sound like it's very like super factual. Uh, but I mean, that doesn't mean that it's not a, not compelling at all. It's a really fascinating character study. Uh, and the, basically, the, the, the high-level concept is that uh, superintendent and the assistant superintendent are basically, like, over a series of years and years and years, are just kind of chipping away at a school's budget and just kind of pocketing it secretly. Um, and so Hugh Jackman plays uh, the superintendent, uh, Dr. Frank Disson, and Allison Janney plays the assistant director, uh, assistant uh, uh, superintendent, uh, Pam Glockin. And uh, it's just it's really fun to watch these though the, like these two leads are just super great uh they're really they really steal all the scenes um i don't want to spoil it too much because i feel like this kind of this movie kind of flew under the radar uh so i'll just kind of try to explain why i liked it um basically uh hugh jackman like is really good at playing sociopath isn't the right word but um frank disown is kind of you, the film establishes him as a really good superintendent it's a he establishes him as a care as a as a as a teacher as an educator that actually genuinely cares about the students um you see him kind of going through him like he knows like every single student he in his school district every time like whenever he meets a, a parent he says oh hey like your daughter's doing this like how's that going like oh like your like your son he's playing trombone like is he is he, is he doing well like in band uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, a lot of these parents, a lot of these teachers really respond to that. And you can tell, you can see how he's kind of cultivated uh, sort of like a following around himself. Everyone kind of trusts him. Everyone kind of thinks that he's the go-to guy. He's the reason that Roslyn High is the number four school district in Long Island. And mm-hmm. the big goal is to try to get to number one. Okay. Um, and that's, that's kind of how all this stuff kind of flew under the radar where he and Pam were stealing money from off the top of the budget and their auditor just never checked on them because he, they, they trusted both of them so much. Like, Oh yeah, Pam and Pam and Frank, they're, they're great. Like they're, they're, they know what they're doing. No reason to have any oversight over them. Um, and you know, uh, basically I won't go to too deep into the narrative, but so basically the a plot is, uh, is kind of Hugh Jackman's, uh, character kind of having to deal with his, his, uh, whole entire Ponzi scheme is kind of coming to light. And he's trying to kind of control and deal with the fallout and trying to damage control it. And the B plot is uh, is is about Rachel, a student at Roslyn High, who's a, who's trying to who's, who works for the student the the student paper, and uh, she's basically trying to she's slowly kind of uncovering something something's not right here. Like the school budget doesn't isn't lining up, and it's kind of following her plot and trying to uncover uh, what kind of fraud's going on and how deep does it go. Uh, I would say definitely the more compelling part is definitely the scenes with Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney in them. Like, they just absolutely do the show. Where Jill and I are watching West Wing right now, where Allison Janney plays the, 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 uh, the press, CJ Craig. And it's just so funny to watch her play up this, uh, play up Pam Gluckin, who she just has like the thickest Long Island accent she had. Oh, She's used all of her stolen money to buy a home in the Hamptons. So it's just so funny to see her play a different character than what she is in West Wing. Um, but she really does bring it, and yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I can kind of ramble on about this movie for a while, but uh, just 
seeing that what I really liked about this movie, like I won't go, I went in knowing that Hugh Jackman is playing a character who's stolen a bunch of money. But the really striking thing to me is that he also is genuinely a proud educator who wants to wants the best for his students. He also just wants the best for himself by stealing a shitload of money. And you can definitely believe how he kind of capitulated with himself about how much money he's been stealing over these years. I think he ended up stealing around two point two million dollars from the school system over over a series Jeez. of years, like over like four or five years. And, you know, you, you definitely, the movie kind of ends up in a morally gray area where you're not sure, well, where it's definitely condemnable behavior, but also you can't really say that he didn't benefit that school system greatly. And he still, you know, was somebody that genuinely cared about the benefit of the, the, the fate of his students, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I, let's see. I mean, honestly, I could, I could talk about this for a while, but I'm just going to end it here at about, I'm going to give this movie... Four point three accelerates out of five. It's really good. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed this. I enjoyed watching this movie. It was weird because, as Andre said, I remember this happening not Mm -hmm. closely because I think we decided that when all of the events started to go public, I would have been in sixth grade. So I was old enough to be reading the local newspaper, one of them, Newsday, which ran the story but definitely not old enough to really put all of it together to realize the ramifications and what this means. But I remember him, I remember getting blown open and I remember him getting sentenced. And it was just kind of nice seeing Long Island in a movie that they actually filmed most of it on Long Island. There were parts of it where I'm like, oh, that's supposed to be the Hamptons. And then later that got confirmed. It's like, oh, that's the Hamptons. Yay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The only thing, there was one thing that I don't think this is accurate. Right, yes. This is the reason that it's not a five out of five right here, Joe. Go ahead and take it away. That was me knocking over my water bottle. Um, (laughs) Pizzagate. So there's a scene with um, the the B-plot character, Rachel, who's a junior at Roslyn High. She, as Andre said, is is doing a story. It's originally started as a puff piece. She goes to interview Frank. He encourages her to dig deeper because it's only a puff piece. If you make it a puff piece, if you want to be a journalist, you got to know how to find a story. So under his advice, she starts digging and discovers all these things. So she's starting to dig deeper and she and her dad share some pizza and the pizza just did not look accurate. Oh, <laughs> that was God. not the pizza of my, my yeah, Long Island yeah. youth. <laughs> that just, it looked wrong. Um, and maybe it was accurate to the area. I don't know, but it just as a pizza judger, pizza. as a pizza judger, no, <laughs> yes, the lactose intolerant and really uh. shouldn't be gluten any more individual is judging what pizza looks like. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's a really fantastic film, and I highly recommend um, giving it a watch. It's on HBO, and yeah, and what's interesting is that you know there's. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much, but like, unfortunately, Pam Gawkin passed away. But some of this stuff is still important to history. So it's nice, kind of seeing the post—not post credit, but during the credits—they're saying like, what happened to the people? Right. Um, yeah. Where are they now? And there are some things in there that are really like eyebrow raising. And I agree with Andre that despite what he does, and you could argue that it is almost sociopathic because when things start to go south for the plan. They, th- they, f- they first figure it out because it's, they think it's all Pam and he doesn't say anything and then over the course of the film 
me and Andre were saying, like, is he on it? I don't know if he's in. Like, did he know? Oh. Did he not know? And then you find out, yeah, he he did. He definitely um, knew. Yeah, okay. He definitely, definitely knew, and he was taking advantage of it. But, you know, every time someone's like, we need to go, when more and more of the story becomes real to the school board, uh, Ray, Ray Romano plays the head of the school board. He's like, we need to go public. We need to call the police. We need to call the FBI. Frank Tassone is like, no, we need to wait till the school budget passes. Because if the school budget doesn't pass, then all of our hard work is nothing. Okay. So he really did care about those students, yeah. even though he also really cared about himself. Right. Yeah, and he also showed that he's such a good social manipulator, too. Like, immediately was able to diffuse the situation. Oh, Frank's our guy. Frank can figure all this out. He's right. We This is for the good of the school system. Let's keep this quiet. So. Yeah. I also love the fact that it's Ray Romano in there. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's That's a great, awesome. great casting choices all around here, I would say. And I think I read that when, to study for the accent, uh, Hugh Jackman was like, this was like one of the hardest accents for me to like pick <laughs> up. Right, yeah. I wasn't paying attention too close, Joe, but I mean, Allison Jane did a great job. I oh, God, it's like, just but, so Long Island. <laughs> uh, but what, but how, did, how did Hugh Jackman do in your... In, to your well, his character's supposed to be from Brooklyn. Oh, uh, that's so true. So there's a lot right. of Brooklyn in there. It, yes. it, it all sounded very accurate. And like, you know, the, Ray Romano's the, ver- the first voice you hear. So not only is like, yep, that's Ray. Yeah. But it's like Ray leaning into the, into the New Yorker. Um, <laughs> oh, Ray. Uh, what would you give it rating-wise then? Um, I would share Andre's pretty high-ranking. Um, okay. I, I would, to be honest, I, I would give it a five out of five. Um, <laughs> five out of five uh, Sony Playstations. Two fives. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's a thing, and I even add, like, I think we did we pause the movie, and I'm like, Andre, is that like how much they cost back then? I had to look like, it how much yeah, did Sony to the, to the a, PlayStation cost? One, one, of the, one of the fraudulent expenses is a Sony PlayStation. Two. Come on, nerd. That was back in the day. The so. PlayStation Two. How little things have actually changed over time. Right. right. It was only three hundred dollars. Yeah, three hundred fifty, three hundred dollars. Yeah, something like that. Okay, so I, if I, my math's correct, we've had two fives on the show. Uh, let's keep the ball rolling to another five, right, Mitchell? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, so goodness. excited for this. I cannot wait to tell you the uh, actual rating of this movie. It is, of course, the classic from 2018 from director Anne Deborah Fishman, Swiped. Okay, this is not a gritty origin story for Dora the Explorer's villain, <laughs> though I wish it was. Swiper this is no a swiping. about dating apps, and more so about how young people are so addicted to their phones. Yep. And the mm. message is oh so heavy-handed. <laughs> I oh hate this God. movie so much. Uh, who's ready for a little <laughs> synopsis? Because I wrote 700 words worth of notes. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking it up on IMTV because I've never heard of this movie. I'm not looking it up. Please enlighten me. So, uh, just to gauge the temperature in the room, I believe all of us who are in couples, we have met our significant others via social media, or via apps, via dating apps. Is that right? There are three right. couples on this call. Two of them are from Hinge, and one of them are from Coffee Meets Bagel. Coffee Meets Bagel! Let's yeah. go! We could all attest to the actual benefit of dating apps and what they could lead to. Actual good things and more than just hookups. Can I just go this back and say, when Claire and I met, Hinge wasn't a thing? That's yeah. how old right. I am. So... Oh, I used Coffee Meets Bagel before you had to, because I think now it's all fee based. Because I used it in like 2016. I right? haven't um, used it since. Really, it's all fee based. Interesting. 
Yeah, yeah. I haven't I used it since 2015, 2016, what, 2016, yeah. Yeah, I haven't used it since, like, earlier 2020, you know, like, I... Yeah. So, sorry, Mitchell, back to it. No, it's all good. So we are just going through, basically, how dating apps can be good, but the premise of this movie is that dating apps are bad, and they're mainly bad because they are created by men to hook up with women, okay? That is the jumping-off point for this movie. Keep in mind, this came out in 2018, so I think the stigma of dating apps probably has faded away at this point. So even the premise felt very dated, uh, but that's only surface because, oh my God, the acting is just horrendous. And not to say that the script was any good either, no matter, you know, you could have had um, the best actors of all time. You could have Daniel Day-Lewis, Olivier, all saying these words and it would sound like shit the entire time. Uh, but there was one standout, and it is a young man named Noah Centineo, who is actually into All the Boys I've Loved Before. I've never seen that. But this guy okay. is the only dude who seemed like his character and was not speaking words and actually acting very well. Was he in Much other things? No, well, was, was well, I was going to say, was he in other things? Uh, no, my hand was really because Andre was making noise over there. Uh, I apologize. Yeah, my, my, my computer just wanted to update everything all at the same time. I apologize. You could. Um, um, was it was Noah in other things? Um, so he has been. yes, yeah. So he's been in the Perfect Date. He's been in a ton of movies. He's actually going to be He Man in the upcoming Masters of the Universe. What? So, hold on. Why are they remaking that classic with Frank Langella and? I am actually on board for He Man reboot. One hundred percent. The universe is so fantastic. Anyway, I mean, we're getting away from the top to catch yeah. Keep going. Well, he's the only actor, and his IMDb proves that he is getting more work despite having this movie on there. Okay, so let's start with this. James is a freshman computer science major, and guys, he's been coding since he was seven years old. So you know this guy's wicked smart. Whoa, wicked smart. Wicked smart. He knows how to code, but the thing is, he actually isn't very sociable. He doesn't have a lot of friends, and it's you, because he's so intelligent. Me, you, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are you telling me that a young programmer is not, is having trouble making friends? Somebody has trouble making friends, but Andre, the worst part is they cast a guy who is tall and pretty good looking, and you're asking me to believe that this guy can't make friends? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You better be good at video games because if he's if he doesn't touch a single video game in that in the movie, then I don't buy it. Yeah, well, right. I can also say this guy is also not good at acting, which is another reason why I don't buy it. <laughs> moving on, Ouch. moving on, <laughs> moving on to Lance Black, who is actually played by Noah Centineo, as I mentioned before, who I actually thought did a really good job. He is James's roommate. He is the conventional cool guy. We meet him after he hooks up with the girl in the dorm room. Cool. They're freshmen, by the way. So this guy's just, you know, already laying pipe on the first day on the uh, of school. So you know this guy's, like, so sick and, like, all the girls love him. But the thing is, he is also a womanizer. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, no. What? And the best part is he's so cool that he's a computer science major but he's completely apathetic when it comes to actually doing computer science. He wants to create the next great dating app, but he's going to have his roommate James do it for him. Oh, by the way, uh, Mr. Lance Black calls dating apps mating apps. 
So if you want to know where his head is. Oh, okay. yeah. So it's like the social network, but with... Oh, it's the dumb social network. And, and also, he's the, is he the quote-unquote ideas guy? Like, is he basically like, the, I'll come up with the ideas and you code everything? Yeah, there's actually a great scene where James kind of throws his arms in the air and says, I'm not going to code this thing. And then uh, Lance happens upon all of his coding notes. And he's just like, fine, I'll do it myself. And then he looks at it. This is probably the only truthful part of the movie. And he's like, okay, we need to get him back. <laughs> we, need, he did, he just like we need to stop shitting on the ideas guy because I am the ideas guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love shitting on the ideas guy. No, don't shit I'm on sorry. me. You, you got it. If you're if you're gonna be the ideas guy, at least know the basics of what you're of the tools that you're gonna use. Fair. And it looks like Lance does not care at all. He just wants to he just wants to be the next guy to create the next dating app, and he ultimately wants to use it for himself to hook up with girls because the premise for him is that all the current dating apps they add too much information. They what? girls want to know. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: girls want to know your name. They want to know where you're from. <laughs> How they dare I? Know your name. I know. How dare I? Yeah, so geez. his whole thing is let's make an app. We're gonna call it the Jungle, and it is just a swiping basis. You only see photos. You swipe, and there's a like code of conduct that you have to adhere by, and part of that code of conduct, quote unquote, is not revealing your name or any personal information. This entire thing is just to get in the sack with someone. It so is disgusting. Is, so this is Tinder, but just way more skeevy. And Upton Sinclair is probably rolling in his grave because they named it the Jungle. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think they didn't name it the Clash. Upton Sinclair has two reasons to be upset over the movies that I have, or maybe not upset, because in um, uh, Bill Nye's The Science Guy played him in Mank, which I think he was probably happy about, as everyone was. And then here he is, yeah, the namesake oh of his God. book is not being repurposed. Sorry to derail, I just looked at Kendall Sanders, the guy who's playing the hacker, right? The, the, yeah. the voting guy. Yes. This guy's way too hot, what the fuck? Like, what the hell? He's too handsome. He's too handsome. And is this movie set in 2018 or is it at least set in like 2011? Uh, if anything, I mean, the I have a whole note about how I know it's a low, pro, uh, low production movie. Uh, but everything that the script is saying makes it look like it's modern day, so 2018. Um, so because they mention the other apps, not by name, but they say those other apps are doing all these different things. So there's already, you know, an environment with Tinder and Coffee Meets Bagel and all that. Uh, so anyway, the whole thing stops or like get, hits a turning point uh, when James, the coder, his mom actually starts using the app. This thing is a huge success. It comes off campus pretty quickly. And then suddenly uh, middle-aged people are now using it. Uh, That's all of them. I know. His mom is single, um, recently divorced. The dad's in the picture in the movie, by the way. Um, and the mom is played by the mother who is in Good Luck Charlie for whoever has seen that Disney Channel series. I've seen it because my siblings were watching it. I think all of us were a little bit too old when that premiered, but I recognized her and I couldn't put my finger on it until I looked on IMDb. So she's in it uh, delivering, you know, great Disney Channel level acting. Um, and she goes on and she goes on a date on this app and her son is petrified. Like, oh, my God, this app is this for monsters who just want to hook up with people. I don't want this to happen to my mom. So as one does, he brings his dad, his sister, her, her sister's friend. And then 
himself over to the mall where this date is happening and they kind of spy on them to make sure nothing happens. Of course, the date turns out bad. And James is like, oh, shoot. Um, I don't have to worry that, about this with my mom this time, but this could be a problem that she continues to use the app. So what he does, because Andre, you know, this is very possible. Not, not only does he shut down the app that he has made, The Jungle, he also goes down to shut down every other social media, or excuse me, dating app uh, that is out there in the marketplace. So but Tinder goes down. Big red button, right. it just all goes dark. What? Yeah, it's amazing. It, it, no, it, you just hit the button, bro. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's the the I have it in my, in my basement, actually. I just haven't hit it yet. He does this in the span of 30 seconds. Like, he's doing it in a panic, and his mom's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm fixing the problem. And it's just like, okay, dude. And then suddenly everyone at the bar. By the way, if you're at a bar, you're not updating your dating app, right? Like, you're actually going to be interacting with other people at that point. Uh, actually, it depends on who you're with at the bar. If you are with your gal pals, you're probably either updating it because your friends are like, you ask them a question. I'll use OK Keep It with their, you know, crazy algorithm quiz thing. Or my personal favorite was, I'll swipe for you if you swipe for me. Oh. Gotcha. So by this, I mean the jungle. And okay. people were already on the app while they were on their current dates. So oh, this is how fucked up the characters are. <laughs> um, anyway, at least they know what they're playing with. So, oh, did I mention who James's love interest is? He's a love interest? Of course. She is a, a beautiful uh, girl next door. Her name is Hannah. And through one of the biggest exposition uh, examples of dialogue that I've ever seen in my life, they introduce her as a freshman at this college. And James walks up to her and he's like, Hannah, Hannah, remember me? I'm James. <laughs> and they go on to have the uh, lay down the foundation of where their relationship is at, as if these people don't know each other at all. And he's like, oh, oh I am so sorry for serenading you at senior prom. I know that you're humiliated by that. And she's just like, yeah, I was really embarrassed. And by the way, <laughs> yes. Anyone, that was the most real response you could have. Yeah, I was really embarrassed by that, dude. That's why I'm not talking to you. That was awful. Why'd you put me on the spot? And then what's funny is they bring up later in the movie, James approaches Hannah, completely different conversation. And he's just like, you know, Hannah, I was thinking, why are you so shy? And then I thought to myself, at what point was it introduced that she was shy? And then I thought, oh, shit. He's talking about the prom situation and how she reacted. And that's to say that, oh, the way you reacted isn't a normal thing. It's because of something else. And what the fucked up part is the movie does give her another reason. It's because she had a stutter when she was younger. And she is now super shy of big crowds, even though she doesn't have a stutter anymore. She doesn't attempt one, which is fine, by the way. That probably would have been awful. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let her have a legitimate human reaction to being serenaded at senior prom. There doesn't have to be this whole backstory as to, like, some childhood trauma as to why she got this random dude singing to her in front of the entire school. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Well, it's because they clearly couldn't have her be annoyed or concerned or freaked out. It had to be a very simple reason of, I just, I had a stutter and it's embarrassing and it's not you, it's me. Exactly. And oh my goodness, Hannah delivers, uh, actually, one, no, I'm looking at it. Yeah, one of my favorite lines. I'll get there in a second. Um, So just to finish the plot synopsis, um, after he shuts down the app, 
uh, James decides, you know what, I'm going to make a better version of this thing where it's not about um, not so much the male gaze and just trying to hook up with other uh, people, but now it's going to be more about what women want and all that kind of stuff. So in his mind, he he feels like he's heading towards something good. Uh, So what he does is he leaves his dorm, getting away from the guys, and Hannah and him at this point are at a good spot in their relationship. He's like, yo, can I crash at your place? And her place is the apparently one sorority house in this entire college because every woman character that we have met so far in this movie all lives in this sorority house. Even hashtag though they're convenient. Hashtag convenient. So his whole thing is, I'm now living in this house and I'm going to study the women. It sounds weird, but he does say that. And they basically, he's like, based on these interactions of uh, asking them questions, I'll know how to build a better app. And after all of this, um, I get one of my all-time favorite line readings where he's just like, you know what? I think I'm going to call it Eve, to which one of the sorority sisters says, Eve, oh, like the first woman. And it's just like, yeah, no shit. We didn't need that. <laughs> I wonder if she's like a philosophy major. Dude, it was, to- it was totally based on the uh, robot and Wally. Exactly. If uh, if you were confused, if we're talking about the Pixar character or the biblical character, luckily our friend in the sorority house told us the difference. Um, And then when he's so in that same conversation, he's like, "Oh, Eve, that's what I'm going to call." And he starts asking everyone, "Oh, what do you want to see in this app?" And then he finally goes to Hannah, who's just quietly in the corner reading a book. And then she looks over and says, "You know what, James?" I don't think an app is the proper solution for relationships. I don't know. Maybe I was just born in the wrong century. Which, by the way, is this movie's version of I'm not like other girls. And it's just like, what the fuck? Like, this is the way that you're going to distinguish your main uh, female character? So she writes letters with a feather pen and doesn't have a cell phone. She's a pager. Carries a boombox. Oh, yeah. Walkman. Yeah, that's better. So there's literally a cock in the hen house figuring out what women want. Yes. Who has very limited experience around said women. Yes. Creating a product named Eve, even though Eve Online is already a thing. And as a shut-in who probably likes video games, he he should know better. Hey, Jill, luckily he actually doesn't go through with Eve. Because how the movie ends, after toying with the app a little bit more... He becomes Mel Gibson and what women want. He realizes that Hannah was right. And he comes downstairs, the entire sorority is there for his quote-unquote app presentation. And he gives this long and awful speech that ends with... (laughs) That ends with, I can't create the app because you are the app. No. Wow. Guys, this is... They were trying so hard to make this We Are Groot, and it is the worst thing about this movie. He's saying, you, the women, need to take the power back in in dating and relationship dynamics and stop leaving the apps to these coders who are primarily male who are trying to hook up with you. Oh, so it's our fault. Oh, it's the coders. No, 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 no. It's the coders' fault. The coders' It's everyone's fault. (laughs) All together in this. Uh, By the way, Hannah goes on to kiss James after uh, James comes back after this 
uh, piece of dialogue. There's another scene. They come back to sorority house. He professes his love to her, uh, not in front of the entire school, like at senior prom, but this time just in front of the entire sorority. Somehow she's now cool with this. And all the sorority sisters like, oh, uh, Hannah, you should kiss him before I do. And it's just like, what the fuck? So they kiss. And that's that, that puts the bow on his storyline. And then going back to Lance, our resident douchebag. I was wondering what happened to Lance. So Lance this entire time, by the way, is basically chasing James around, trying to get him to... So he's the Winklevoss twins, right? So he's just trying to get uh, James to make this app for him. And he's pulling all these different stunts to get at him, including he calls his dad's publicist. This movie's set in L.A., by the way, so he has a powerful dad. And the publicist is able to get a live radio read Uh, proclaiming James as the creator of the Jungle app, which has gotten a terrible reputation around town. I wonder why. I wonder why. And there's this whole thing about that. I'm not going to get into it. It works out fine for him in the end. But Lance, his story ends by him realizing, you know what? I don't want to be a CS major. I want to be a business major. It's just like, yeah, no fucking shit. And then he goes on to say to his boys, you know what? That Rachel girl who we had met in this movie, by the way, who is kind of portrayed as the local slut, uh, he's just like, I really like her, and I want to ask her out on a real date. And that's what he does. He goes to the sorority house. Uh, he asks her on a date, and she turns him down. Good for her. Uh, and he continues to walk her to class as they flirt. And that's it. And he does it in person, not over the phone, which is Anne Deborah Fishman's point in directing this movie. And that is 2018 swiped. Wow. I feel like he should have been catfished. Yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't a catfishing yeah. a lot here. Or and, like, what about the mom? Does she find happiness? I also feel oh. like this movie oh, should have. Yeah. I got the mom for you. I so, so, after the date, the jungle date, um, because as you remember, um, the dad was also spying with James on this date to make sure everything was okay. And they have this moment later, the mom and dad come back together and he's just like, you know what? I saw you on that date and I realized, wow, uh, how, how wrong I was. And I, I forgot why they broke up initially. And of course they get back together. So it's just like, oh, there you go. Jesus Christ. So this movie should, like from how you were describing it, I really thought it was going to go the avenue of like um, Cyrano de Bergerac, if you've ever seen that play. No. Um, basically, it's the trope of like the guy who's not quite good looking writing letters to a very beautiful woman, and then oh, there's okay. the puppet guy who either is in on it, he knows that he's it's not it's not genuine, or he's very blissfully unaware that the guy writing the love letters is actually into the woman. So that's where I thought that this was going was that like oh James is like. I don't really believe in this, so he has, like, a on the side, maybe he's writing a lady letters, but then he also has the dating app persona. There's also yeah. a good uh, Cyrano de Bergerac movie that I believe is called Roxanne, and it's uh, with Steve Martin as Cyrano. And he, he, has like, he has, like, a prosthetic nose, and that's what's wrong with him. Uh, and that's that's typical for Cyrano. Yeah. The, the play is that he is has a very ridiculous nose. It's very um, comedic, and like the love interest is Roxanne. That's why it's called Roxanne. Um, but it's I highly recommend that. But yes, I could have seen it going that way as well. Uh, but, oh no, this movie's way too dumb to actually draw from legitimate. Art. <laughs> uh, can I tell you guys uh, the list of reasons why I know this was a low budget movie? Can yeah, I? Please, 
Go on. So the old, sometimes it's not about how you end it, it's how you start it. And how this movie starts is the opening credit sequence, which looks like it was made on Adobe After Effects. And don't get me wrong, I love After Effects. But this looks like it was someone's very first Adobe After Effects project, where you got like an animated finger coming up and swiping right on people's names. It's very slow, meticulous. The motion looks so uh, rigid. It's awful. So I'm like, oh, wow, this is this movie is telling me exactly the quality that it's going to present to me for the next 90 minutes. So I did appreciate that a little bit, but I also knew it was low budget. The next you have the IMDb page for the director. Sorry to interrupt you. Yes, I did. And it's right. um, very sad. I I'm mean, looking uh, at it, too, right now. Right. I'm looking at it. It's hey, Mike, you know how we got a lot of props from the director of the last bad movie? We, um, Andre, did you watch it? What was the movie called? No, it was Killer Sofa. Jill watched it, yeah. And Deborah Fishman, I doubt, is going to give us the same love and affection. You never know. (laughs) You never know. I'm the shit out of this movie right now, so I would give her a lot of props. Wait, I want to know point number two, why this is a low-budget movie. Oh, yes. Uh, the The notification for getting a swipe in Jungle is just the airdrop sound that you hear on that. So they recycle a lot of those sounds. Oh, the soundtrack, by the way, yes, someone did compose a score, but they also spent a lot of time using uh, uh, basically copyright-free music. So, um, you know, the Nutcracker stuff because there's a Christmas scene. Oh, it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, suddenly. So there's all these different moments where I'm like, hey, I recognize that. I recognize that. It's like, oh, because it's all in the public domain. It's just like, okay, I get it. You want to save money on the budget. Also, the sound, the sound of the dialogue, if someone was in the sorority house where this is most obvious, everyone's voice echoes in a very distracting way. So I think they're only using a boom mic here. When most movies, you'll do a process called ADR, where you go into a booth and you re-record your lines so they sound cleaner. And I don't think this movie had the post-production budget to do that. And unfortunately, we have a very distracting echo in a lot of the indoor scenes. Um, and then also where the computer science class is set. So we get a couple scenes in the movie where they're all in class together. This is an introductory class. And if anyone's been to college, um, and granted, this looks like a smaller private school, so it's a little bit different. Introductory classes tend to be big. There's a lot of people in there, and then eventually you weed out the folks who go on to major and other things. Anyway, this one takes in... It takes place in a computer lab that is in a glorified walk-in closet. It feels very cramped. Uh, It looks like the cinematography uh, did it no favors in trying to make the room feel bigger at the very least. Everyone, especially in a post-COVID world, looked awkwardly tight and sat next to each other, like two inches away from each other. I felt a little weird just watching it. Uh, Oh, my God. Those are just, yeah, those are just some of the notes and... Yeah, sometimes the quality just stands out from the technical stuff and not even the writing. Jeez. Wow. All right, what do you want to rate this monstrosity? <laughs> so, Mike, Jill, Andre, sometimes friends. <laughs> friends of all ages. Uh, a lot of people like to call this the Mitchell Zero, the gentleman's sweep. Um, the Mitchell Zero. I like to call it a half star. Uh, at the end of the day, Anne Deborah Fishman and the rest of this cast and crew made a movie. And I admire the fact that people are able to make movies because it's an incredibly hard task, no matter the quality that you get at the end. So 
while most people would say zero, and if I were other people, because I'm not like other um, movie critics. I'm he's, gonna, not like, he's not like other girls. <laughs> I'm just not like other girls. Uh, I'm going to give this a half swipe out of five. Are you swiping left or right, though? Left, as fast as I can. <laughs> would you rather watch this again or The Room by yourself? By yourself. The room by, okay, so the thing about The Room, I can right. still laugh at it. Yes. This yeah. movie, it's not, it's not a fun hang, you know, okay. because Tommy Wiseau, like, you could just, you could see all the scenes of him trying to make this movie, and it's comical. Um, and in this one, I think Aunt Deborah Fishman knows how to piece together a movie and all that kind of stuff. So you lay out all the things, and yes, there are uh, different technical aspects that rub off in a weird way. Mm. But at the end of the day, the messaging here is so ham-fisted and kind of condescending to people our age, and I completely disagree with the messaging, by the way. That's true. Um, right. yeah, you know enough. what I mean? At least with the room, I don't know what the fuck the message I'm supposed to interpret. It's going to change every time <laughs> I watch yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he wants to make a Tennessee Williams movie. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a botched love tragedy, and that's not that doesn't have a condescending message, at least, to being like, wow... What if online dating was actually bad, though? Like, that's just so Dude, the message... My problem with the whole thing is that it's just... They made the movie 10 years too late because by 2018, yeah. every... I think it's pretty common in the digital age that this is really the new way of dating and that the concept of just meeting, going up to someone in a bar and saying, sup, doesn't... Yeah. A, it doesn't work. And that this is really just... This is the new normal, and... I'm kind of not like offended, but it's just like you know, don't don't hate on this because for a lot of people, this really is how they meet people. And I think one of the biggest and for the fact yeah, that yeah, Mike up his, his ring from his marriage, yeah, from, from his marriage, and, like you know, and from a college. Okay, sure, dating apps on a college campus. Why do they need to do that when you know you're in college? But if I can't even imagine them trying to make this movie and have them all be like twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. Because one of the biggest secrets about becoming an adult is nobody told you how to make friends outside of college. Right. Making friends, making friends in the real world is very hard. Yes, it is. Yeah, so, I didn't like Titanic, you huh? know, like, yeah, who is right. like the ultimate maker. Yeah. Like, you know, like the, the whole social dynamic out here is completely different. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Right? I, I don't know what you're talking about with that. You're really going to make friends. Like, yeah, you're, you're really you're, good. You're like my dad. You just you guys. You're like my dad. dad. You're like, no, like you can walk into a room and make friends. Yes, no. Mike is the ex- the extrovert that I just latched onto on my introvert self, and he just tags me along on stuff. I, I did not expect it. this to go down this hole, but I really appreciate <laughs> it. You guys are making me feel really good. Thank you. <laughs> you can thank Swiped for that. Oh, Swiped. Yes. Um. So, mostly because my phone is dying, but also because we have a promo to include in our show. We're going to take a quick break. Perfect. I have to feed the cat. Perfect. That's great. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. You're going to hear a promo from our friends at Film Busters. Uh, Great podcast that follows us on Twitter. Also, uh, I just want to give a shout out just because you reminded me of this, dating apps and everything like that. There's another show called You Should Have Ghosted. They're our friends. They are in uh, Connecticut as well. Fantastic podcast. They're all about the uh, the downside of online dating. Lots of true crime in online dating. They are a blast. Love them to death. 
uh, shout out to them. Here's a promo from our friends at Filmbusters, which is in the UK, and they just got Allagash White this year. Are you troubled by the dominance of the Marvel and DC cinematic universes? Do you experience feelings of dread and dreamscapes while watching the latest David Lynch offerings? Have you or your family seen anything better than Whiplash? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Open your podcast catcher and subscribe to The Professionals. Filmbusters. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your cinematic needs. Oh, come on, you got, how can it not, that was so interesting. I didn't care for shit. It's one of the worst I've seen this year. But I think it's a great study on the, on uh, mental health. It's great. And get, give, give Joaquin that Oscar. Give it to him. Well, there might be someone else. There may be, but give it to him. Just give him an extra one. Wait a minute, did you say you shed a tear? Yeah. Oh, victory, victory, oh, sweet victory. Wow. At the very end, that ended. Yes. I was actually handing an olive branch, but then you could not accept it. That's why. Bullshit. I'm sorry. It's a, it's an empty shell of a film. This film, I can't see anyone who'd enjoy it. I don't even know who it's for. I think it's probably even meant to be for us. And like, if we're not finding it good, who's finding it good? Well, that's fucking cinema, man. Film busters. We're ready to, to enlighten you. Thank you to our friends at Filmbusters uh, for their promo there. Uh, go check them out. They are pretty awesome. Um, highly suggest after you're done listening to us, of course. Uh, uh, Mike, by the way, uh, thanks for the warning. Uh, so I spent about 20 minutes dunking on uh, dating apps, and then you're promoting a podcast about how dating apps can kill you. Yeah. Uh, it would have been nice synergy to just say maybe I could have just lightened it a little bit. Back on it for all of our listeners out there who are taking who are utilizing dating apps. Be safe. Be smart. If things feel a little skeevy, talk to your friends. Talk to your family. Don't go anywhere without telling people where you are going, and come up with some escape routes if necessary. Be smart. I fail to see the problem. <laughs> so that that jumps into our next thing which was kind of skeevy um yes transitions they're great uh we're going to talk about a movie we've all seen just to kind of close up the show uh and our thoughts on it because we have individual thoughts on it uh wonder woman 1984 it was it was yeah. a film it happened it is a film that they released it, they released it on HBO Max. That is the one thing I got going for it, that on Christmas Day you could watch it on HBO Max versus going to a theater. Um, that's about where it ends. Is this a spoilers or no spoilers? I think we should spoil shit out of this. I feel like... Yeah, spoiler alert. All right, so spoiler warning for those of you who have not seen Wonder Woman 1984, either at home on HBO or in theaters. I don't recommend it, but you know, whatever. <laughs> All right, so way to bury the lead. Uh, just saying... If you are, if you have any interest in seeing this film, please stop the podcast here yeah. or regroup at the end. Perhaps Mike will put a timestamp in, but we are about to discuss spoilers, so probably we, not putting a timestamp in. I'm not good enough at that. Never mind. <laughs> You've warned everybody. You 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 have way too much confidence in my skills here. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're going to talk about Wonder Woman '84. It is uh, the ninth as we are recording this, so you had since Christmas if you are still listening and haven't seen it yet. Uh, but yes, agreed. Skip 
the rest of this podcast probably because all we're really going to do is close it up after this. So just skip the rest of the podcast. You're right, Jill. Um, so Wonder Woman 1984 is a film sequel to Wonder Woman that came out 2016? 2017? I think it's 17. 17? Yes. Best movie at the time, the best movie in the DC universe. It still remains at the top of my DCEU list. Uh, same with me. Yeah. yeah. I would agree. I would need to, I think I need to rewatch the original, but it's either number one or number two behind uh, Shazam. Shazam. Yeah. Shazam. I really enjoyed Shazam. I think Shazam was my number three, but two and three were interchangeable because two would have been then Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah. yeah. I liked Aquaman. It was goofy. Um, 84. We're now that's in. So good. We're now in 1984. Um, Wonder Woman is a hero that's like hiding. Um, she lost her love interest, Stephen Trevor, in the first movie. Um, Pedro Pascal's in it. Kristen Wiig. Uh, Kristen Wiig plays Cheetah. Pedro Pascal plays Max Power. No. Maxwell Lord. Maxwell Lord. Thank you. I was like Max Power. Uh, I think that's a uh, <laughs> Simpsons reference. Simpson would have been great. If he had been in this movie. Yeah, right, exactly. I was going to say, I think it's a Simpsons reference. Uh, so Maxwell Lord, who comes into contact with a wishing, wishing stone. Um, yeah. yeah. Life is good, but it can be better. Um, this, is, this is the year of uh, Pedro Pascal's hot dad. Yep. Yeah, Pedro Pascal is hot dad. That is every year. Every year is with you. <laughs> Out of the year I will say I like Pedro Pascal hamming it up. I feel like that's the only way you could take that character, the way he's written at least, right? Yeah, and I would say that his performance is fine. And in fact, with the exception of one particular character, everyone's performance is fine. It's the material that they have to work with. Mm. I'll just, I, I won't sugarcoat it. Gal Gadot is a beautiful actress. She's a fun part of the Fast and the Furious franchise she is not the best actor in this movie wow uh, okay the movie called Wonder Woman so I had no problem with Gal Christian Bale wasn't the best actor in a movie called The Dark Knight you know it's just like I think that's fine so for me though for me I mean it's one thing for it yeah, totally. Let someone like Heath Ledger take take the wheel. But I think, but I feel like Kurt. But I well, but I mean, other than the fact that he passed away, but I feel like everyone knew going into the Dark Knight that that really is the star is the Joker. Oh, okay. So there's a difference, right? Are you talking about star? or Are you talking about because I totally agree with you. This movie did not feel like a Wonder Woman movie for so much of the runtime, and it's yes. two and a half hours or two and a half hours long. Yeah. I so is it, more, is it more about acting or is it more about star power? It's uh, presence. Oh, presence. Yeah, yeah. Column A, a little column B. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I don't, I mean, I, I think it's some of the material that she had to work with, but I just, yeah, she's so blah. So and she's not given room to be better. So my, my opinion is that Gal Gadot was fine. Um, Pedro Pascal stole it for me. Um, one hundred percent. My problem, Kristen Wiig, um, and it could be part part of its material. Part of it, um, part of it is just like, can we lose the nerd trope? 
Can, can we lose like, it? Yeah, it is There's like a very specific comic book villain, comic movie villain trope where you have like the nerd character that adores the superhero that becomes uh, this badass monster. And it's like, it's in this movie, it's in Amazing Spider-Man 2. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to say Jamie Foxx's Electro feels the same yes. way. It's that exact plot line. Yeah. Catwoman, it's Poison Ivy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just well, weird. Of course, you can't, because, you know, if you're a female character in a in a movie, in a comic book or superhero film, you either really have one of two trajectories. You can either be the hero, or if you're going to be the villain, you naturally have to go from, you know, the ugly duckling into the sultry swan, and there's, you know, there's no other... No other option. I submit the only time it worked was Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman in sure. Batman Returns. Yeah, I got I got a confession to make because the entire time I was thinking, are they gonna are they gonna show Kristen Wiig as Cheetah? As I came to know that character in the comics, yeah. who actually looks like a cheetah, like a humanoid cheetah. And uh, once we get to the part in the White House where she's dressed up in cheetah print clothing and stuff like that, I'm like, okay, this is as far they're gonna take it. Admittedly, I was a little disappointed. I was just like, oh man, I really want her to do the whole thing. And then they showed me the whole thing, and I was like, oh man, I did not want this. I did not want the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But she wore amazing shoes. She wore, oh yeah. Are you were, saying you revoke your wish, Mitchell? Uh, <laughs> Dude, God damn did it. someone explain to me the logic of the wishing? Because it wasn't really at the end. It's not really wishes, it's more of saying a sentence that starts with, I yeah. wish. Yeah. That's not really a wish, right? No. I mean, like, I don't know. No, I desire. I'm still stuck on how did all of this stuff happen and people still clearly remember. But no, what? What is the continuity of the world? It's very problematic when you view this view this film as a part of a cinematic universe. You know what I mean? Like, if you if this is by itself, you could be, it could, it's one thing, but like, this is supposed to be in the DC cinematic universe. And like, there was essentially World War Three. That was wished away, and everyone remembers World War Three happening. All those nukes just randomly appearing in the climax, and we're just cool with that. You know, it's whatever. Like, oh yeah, bygones be bygones. My bad. Can yeah, we? So can we also talk? up. Can we also you know? talk about uh, the fact that at the end of the movie, nobody got any repercussions. Maxwell Lord still right. gets his kid. I think Christian Wiggs alive. Yep. Maybe. Totally. Totally. Yep. Alive. So, yep. like, nobody got anything except for Stephen Trevor's dead again. Well, right. <laughs> Which, by the way, okay, the whole wish of him coming back. Okay, could someone explain to me? So she doesn't, she doesn't say it out loud, right? When she's holding the stone, we just say like wind blow over her. Yeah. My whole thing is she doesn't believe that, at least at that point in the movie, that the stone legitimately had powers, unless right. I just read her character there. Uh, oh, right. So. If she had said that in her head, is it more of, one, a little part of her believes in it, or two, is it more of a daydream wish? You know, it's just like, oh, I wish I could, you know, tell for me think, to me so I don't have to go through traffic. anybody you know? who held Maxwell's hands, when he's like, tell me you wish for this thing, do you think they actually believed it, too? It, it, the whole right. exactly. yeah, none of this is very flimsy. Yeah. And None of this makes sense. Well, well, it's fine. You can honestly write around a plot, like a plot device like that. It'd be very lazy. But like, you know, if you just were like, oh, this thing grants your desires, you know, like whatever, like your deepest desires, blah, whatever. That's fine. Make it generic enough, and you can write a movie around that. But they try to like make it like, oh no, the Wish Stone has mechanics where 
you have to say, I wish, and then I get to pick whatever price it is or whatever. And right. they try to make it weird where, like, oh, Steve Trevor's back. Oh, but he has to inhabit some rando's body in his apartment. So that dude really. He just is like he looks like somebody else. So that that part like actually bugged me a lot because all of a sudden you're just wearing a meat puppet. Like yeah, yeah. Who apparently didn't have any friends or family or a job. No one was concerned about him being missing or whatever. Yep. Uh, you get to some really weird, bad morality when you realize that Steve and, and Diana, like, hook up that first night and it's in somebody else's body. Like, that's yeah. what works. Yeah, that, dude, really, that dude got uh, raped. Not too long. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah the, Mike just said the word, but no, like, I've seen a lot of discussions being like, so um, let's talk about consent. Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, 100%. That dude had no say in it whatsoever, and he was just around for it. And, and it's just like you didn't have to have that extra layer to that like that didn't add that didn't make the movie more interesting that just was like okay this raises some weird questions and makes Diana look worse so yeah, Jill you're gonna make this leap in logic may as well bring him back in his body that's exactly right exactly. right nukes are showing up out of nowhere you know like walls are are raising from the ground out of nowhere you can just have a guy pop out apparate out of thin air I would believe it at that point and to be honest if they had gone that direction of you know it is Steve Trevor in Steve Trevor's body that would have been at least more compelling like I'll admit I actually did not hate take out the in a vacuum I didn't hate the Steve Trevor Diana stuff I actually I like that was the best part of the movie like not even close Yeah. yeah so I, they should have, to me, what they could have done is, you know, she's holding the, the thing, she wishes for him to come back, and then, you know, he somehow, tra- you know, he crawls out of his own grave. It's really dark, but then he at least would have, there would have been more for him struggling to transition, because he takes the, uh, the difference between being in, like, 1913, 1914 to 1984 pretty damn fucking well, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's a role reversal from the first Wonder Woman, right? Yeah, Where she's it is. introducing her. So it's just like, I thought it was cute. They, I thought it was cute. I thought it was I like cute. I fashion montage. Or just the choices, uh, the little choices. Yeah, that's fair. It, did, it didn't feel like an 80s movie in a lot of ways. Oh, but right. I think with Gal Gadot and uh, Chris Pine, they have legitimate chemistry. Yeah, they're so much fun to watch. The Invisible Jet scene is a little cheesy. I loved it. I, like I love that. When she's in the mall, that whole mall, so that in early in the film, there's a sequence where she's stopping a robbery inside a mall, and it's kind of campy. Well, you know, there's a scene with a little kid who sees her, and she gives her a knowing wink. I'm like, yes, lead into right. this 1980s camp. And and I've heard some, some people kind of compare this to, like, the old superhero or super Superman movies and how that kind of, bringing back that kind of camp. And I would agree with that. I just wish that it went all the way in. You know what I mean? I feel like it, it's stuck in some sort of half step between camp and, and groundedness that it didn't quite yeah. see the landing, you know? Yeah. Like, this, this didn't feel like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 1. Like, it just, it, I don't know, it didn't quite have that same kind of level. To yeah. Also, the opening, as awesome as the opening is, it doesn't really come back. To it me. doesn't serve a point. You could, you could, uh, that's another thing, is that this opening that felt like... Yeah, so the opening scene in um, Themyscira, like just kind of felt like pointless? I don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm, it's already two and a half hours long, and you feel that runtime. It felt like 
Didn't really need to see that. I'm right there with it. You can't, you can't take shortcuts in life, Andre. Oh, I, 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 I actually thought that when she, in the race, takes the tunnel, I thought that was ingenious. I, I thought that was clever. I thought that yeah. was cool. Yeah. Using your terrain and thinking outside the box. I wish you could take a shortcut. I agree. Completely agree. All right, so uh, we're going to get to our ratings on this because okay. we've already droned on. I do want to just make there's one more thing I want to say Okay. and I am not a DC comic book reader what I know about the DC comic book universe is limited to some people I watch on YouTube who've talked much more in length about it where I thought this was going for Pedro Pascal's uh, villain uh, and it's really even hard to call him a villain I thought he was going to turn into this weird, grotesque monster because you clearly see the Wishstone that he's now he now is taking a toll on him. Because in the comics, Wonder Woman kills Max Lord for reasons. She kills him. She snaps his neck, I believe. Reasons. I thought that is where it was going, and then we got to close to the climax. I'm like, no, he he's he just said he's just going to keep wishing for his health to come back, or whatever. <laughs> no. This is not. There's no stakes now. Yeah, so Jill, the the run that you're talking about, the crossover event where that happens, is Infinite Crisis, which is probably the biggest uh, DC event that I read actively when I was still a month-to-month reader of comics. And he was a guy who set up the OMAC project, which is this these robots that just killed all the superheroes. Blah blah blah. It got really intense, and that was like the first time when I read a comic. Go, oh shit! Wonder Woman actually killed someone. And, you know, that was a. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a big turning point. So, mm-hmm. yes, Infinite Crisis. Do recommend it if you uh, like that era in comics. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Okay, so we need a number rating. Collectively or just individually? Individually. So, Jill, you can start us off. Um, it, it definitely does not help the rating. Um, Andre and I last night rewatched Captain Marvel because we're doing an Avengers Marvel Universe rewatch and my opinion of Captain Marvel has gone up tremendously and it definitely pulled my opinion of Wonder Woman down. I probably would have said, you know, a three. Maybe okay. like two point maybe two point eight, two point six. But now I will give Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four a two point five invisible jets. Okay. Uh Andre? Uh, just the amount of times that I was checking my phone in this movie because I was just kind of checked out like even though it was a new superhero movie in 2020 and that was a novelty in and of itself I gotta give it like a flat two rescinded wishes out of five man Jeez. Uh, Mitchell? Yeah for me um, the first 50 minutes did not feel like a Wonder Woman movie to me at all the, to Jill's point Gal Gadot did not command the screen the way that she had in the first Wonder Woman movie and that's that could be anything from the script to Patty Jenkins directing, who I think is really talented. Really looking forward to our upcoming Disney Plus series. Uh, but overall, this was a middling movie, and definitely on the uh, kind of uh, the same batting average as most of the DCEU. And I'm just going to give this one a solid uh, two out of five. Um, Kristen Wiig shoes um, um, in this one. <laughs> Let's go with right. like that. She can walk with confidence now that she's mastered the art of healing. Yes, right. That's it. That's it. Uh, I agree with everybody what you've been saying and everything like that. I got it middle of the road, uh, 2.5. Um, you guys, the lasso lightning swings. That part was cool. 
Okay. I think when she learned to fly, that, that elicited a tear. Didn't that happen right after or right before she learned how to fly? Like, she lasted a lightning strike, and then she learned how to fly, right? Yeah. It was, like, in the same time period. Right. It was, like, but it was, like, back-to-back, so it was, like... Okay, you like, you want a different rating? I got another one. Uh, 2.5 useless armors out of 5. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. yeah that shit lasted, like, two, two minutes? Yep. Like, that just failing, bro. I did, like, that the, cameo. Really I did like, the cameo that came with it. I have no oh. idea what ending up something. Yeah. Um, also, just for the record, Patty Jenkins did not write the first Wonder Woman. She co-wrote this one. She wrote Monster, and that was, like, I think the last movie she did write, and that one is a very good film. I don't know if she is the best writer. Well, Let's we're going to get Wonder Woman are, 3. There are five? Am I counting five writers on this? Oh, no, four look, writers. I didn't look four it up. No, okay, never mind. There, there are some people repeated. So it's Patty Jenkins... Uh, Dave Call- Callahan and Jeff Johns, who's actually a very talented comic book writer who is now running, he's basically the Kevin Feige of DC, and unfortunately his talents do not cross over to the screen, um, and he is actually responsible for a lot of the scripts that have been made in the DCU, and it's been it's been a rough one as a fan of Jeff Johns, not gonna lie. Fair. Okay, well that will uh, do it for this episode of Game for a Movie. Where we ask, are you game for a movie? I've been your host, Mike. I'm joined by... Jill. Andre. Mitchell. We'll see you next time on Game for a Movie. Why does the cheetah look like that? Oh, God! Make it nighttime so we don't have to see. It is nighttime.